is shown here one part of family's benefits and I'm saying on behalf of both of us that due to the poor audio quality that came from part one of this discussion it will not be played perhaps if we figure out a way to enhance the over the audio without ruining the quality perhaps we'll put it onto YouTube or something like that but because we don't source this out and we do this all ourselves and this is all organic and how we go through it hopefully we'll get that out to you at a later time but we hope you enjoy part two of our discussion with the Winsaka Democrats and remember to love one another all right enjoy all right so we are back um I- I lost my train of thought. I don't even know what we're talking about. I believe we talked. We were talking about comic books. I think for the entire time. Yeah. Oh man, yeah. I could. I could talk about that for hours. Okay. This is perfect. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. So I, I think we were talking about uh, businesses in the city and things to do. Uh, have you guys been? You know, do you guys pay attention to like the local goings ons of you know people trying to bring things to Woonsocket? Um, I follow Marvin Wells. I know he's trying to bring uh, comedy to Woonsocket. I think it's hilarious. I, I follow it as much as I can. I mean, you guys seen anything about that? Yeah, I've been hearing um, rumblings about it, but it's it's one of those things where, like, I'd, it'd be awesome if we had a comedy club here, honestly. I'd be there, well, outside of a pandemic, I'd be there as often as possible. Yes, absolutely. The, that That's one of the unfortunate situations of COVID, right, where he was I mean, like he was ready. It was it was on on track to be open very soon, and then the pandemic hit in March. And yeah, I mean, I think he's. It's been really great because he's been kind of creative with doing stuff through the internet. And I mean, we've seen the creativity of of a lot of of people and businesses that haven't necessarily needed to do things in person. But yeah, I mean, I, I you know, there's a lot of really smart, entrepreneurial, responsible people who have good ideas and want to do things. We're a city that really is ready for an economic regrowth. And I think that we need a city government and a majority on the city council that will, that knows how we can do that. And, and that's, that's willing to, to try things that haven't been the, the, the sort of establishment norm here for a long time in order to make that happen. I, I think as a city, we need to acknowledge that the mills aren't coming back. So it's either find some new way to, you know, structure our economy and bring prosperity back or dissolve into towns around us. That's, that's kind of how it is. It, it's, you know, survive or die. That's how cities go. One of the things that, you know, I was saying earlier about how a lot of this stuff doesn't happen in silos and utilizing the pandemic as a catalyst is really important for us to be able to think about Yes, we want to be able to support small businesses, but small businesses, this is an opportunity for groups and individuals that would never be able to create the capital to be able to open a brick and mortar right away, to be able to utilize technology and how people are changing their shopping habits and their spending habits and their time habits in a different way. And so they need to be able to be supported on a, on a local level on what that looks like. Like I was saying before, nobody's going to come all the way up to Winsocket just for one thing. But if you have multiple restaurants, a a thriving art scene, a comedy scene, um, an opportunity to be able to do multiple things all together, people are going to come and they're going to spend their money. And so instead of just focusing on, you know, bringing one or two large businesses in that if you are not 
willing to make 12 bucks an hour and work third shift in some sort of way that, you know, we need to be able to make it so that people not only want to come and visit, but want to live here, raise their kids here, do all of these kinds of things and see a future. I see a lot of it in what happened um, in a lot of the areas of Providence when they revitalized a lot of the art district. I mean, now it's, you know, people around the world know what water fire is, but I am can guarantee you that when it was like, you're going to set the river on fire, like that didn't go over really well when people were trying to explain what that looked like. And what that looks like now for a community, it's all those restaurants around there, all the parking venues, all the art scenes, the shows, everything that goes along with it is a really unique opportunity. And they, in turn, invested back in the community. And so, like, you know, they now, Waterfire has an artist center that they loan out to nonprofit agencies and, and other groups to be able to have meetings. And it's a beautiful space um, and have practices for their art installations and stuff like that. And so, we have to start thinking about things in a big picture way. And when we start thinking about, you know, we don't have to go back to the way it was before. We keep on trying to cram a wrong size puzzle piece in. And so we need to, to stop and actually look and see if we're actually building the right puzzle. True. Very true. And um, I actually met with Marvin Wells a couple of weeks ago and discussing his planning and, and going forward and what it will look like for him. And he is one that is extremely smart and thinking outside of the box, um, having um, Zoom, Zoom comedy shows where, you know, he, he decided that the comedians needed to be in the same room, even if the audience wasn't because of whatever the energy is and it's about just making sure that he's able to zone in a way for his his excellent ideas that he has for for the for the access of the property that he has they're making sure that you know politically um we are supportive of people just like him small business owners that come in with different ideas and you know we're not you know, we're not just setting up barriers. We're actually trying to work with and, and listen to what it is that he's trying to do and other individuals like him. Because again, like Marlene said, it, we're, we're not going to just be able to have two anchor stores. That idea and that concept really are, and not even due to the pandemic, as we can clearly see, the, the idea of thinking that we're going to just gravitate to two anchor stores to get on either side of, of our city to get us to be where we need to be isn't going to be it. It really is going to be uh, things like Marvin. Um, and because he's honestly, um, he's, he's looking into, you know, the restaurant food industry, the comedy, and the higher end of things so that we are attractive to attract outsiders to come in, as well as things for the people within our city to do, an, 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 attractive, an attractive entertainment scene really, really, for, to me, is the way that Woonsocket needs to go as far as revitalizing and getting other people involved and get, sparking interest um, from outsiders that may even be thinking on a bigger level. Absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. I've, I've been in Woonsocket for all of my life, except for like half a year period where I was in Florida. And to watch the, the city like slowly die, it's, it's super sad. I, I don't want to believe, you, you can speak more on the whole 
leaving. Yeah, I actually I moved out of Woonsocket uh, about two years ago. The education system in Woonsocket isn't as great as I would hope, so I didn't want my son to go through it. it it's 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 a tough call to make for the city I grew up in, but you know I have to do what's best. No, I, I can speak from a similar experience. I I grew up in a town very similar to this one, Pennsylvania, and it was uh, basically once Bethlehem Steel shut down, it just started shrinking and dying, and there was there are really no jobs left and there's no real plan moving forward. So any work that was there was minimum wage and you couldn't work in the, uh, you couldn't work in the town and afford to live in the town. And ultimately people are going to go where they can afford to live. And where, and where education is, is good. And that's why the focus has to be on having a good education system. I will have to say that I have literally had to have be a full-time advocate for my children throughout the process. I, I, I take my hats off to my teachers and administrators along the years, but again, it's not one particular a teacher. It is the, and it's the structure and it's the way that, you know, our schools are funded. We, we, won't, we won't make it here that way as far as having property taxes fund um, schooling because of the demographics and the makeup of home ownership. So, you know, we, that has to be addressed in order for us to have a, a thriving um, educational system, which attracts people from all over, including, you know, we don't, it's, it's awesome. We do need people to come here in commerce, but we, we're, we, we, the goal is to have a place where people aren't running from when they come of age. You know, I want my children to not say I have to leave Woonsocket, and I don't just want that. So, the key to that, to me, is through the educational system for a, and there won't be one fix, and that's something that we'll have to, that's a long-term goal, which has to get something, we have to work on that every single day, as well as being attractive to businesses and entrepreneurship and for people that may not live here just to be, for it to be an awesome place to pass through. But Marlene, I think you're on to something. Hey, we could have a water fire here. We could do our own water fire. That's attractive, you know, and, and it's it's about having conversations with open-minded people and being open and, and putting political divides aside and, and making and making sure that really we're working for constituents and for the betterment of the city and not our egos or our political affiliations and such. I, I've never been one to allow political leanings to sway me to who I'm going to become friends with because I have friends that are staunch Republicans. I have friends that are very left-leaning liberals. I conservative. I love them all. I, I don't. I don't want to allow. I mean, I, obviously, I want everybody to agree on. You know, what's the word I'm looking for? Just help me out here. I'm not in your head. No. I think, I think there's basic morality that transcend uh, political affiliation, and I think that's much more important to having a friend than agreeing on every single topic you know and and also just um progressively like the green new deal and such we have huge empty buildings we are a perfect place to start to to for Woonsocket to be the energizer and a place for for us to to be to basically manufacture whatever we need for our entire state to be able to be green. We we are it. We're sitting here waiting for something. We're waiting for it. And the the elephant is just has on a pretty bow and it's just prancing around the room. 
we we're we're here for that and uh, as well as there won't be just one particular thing um, and and that and that type of energy and, and and paying attention to the environment it just helps on on all levels environmentally speaking Woonsocket doesn't have the best history you know I know this from a personal standpoint dealing with health issues of for my son so the the environment is 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 key but it the intersectionality of that is a big component to having our city not only be not only have equity for all of us but also to keep us going and moving progressively and and have a a, a, a positive economic future here as well circle around a bit or to circle back a bit i think the ultimate the, how you bring business to a city is that you don't you bring people to a city and people bring business to a city and ultimately industries pop up where people are and i think the main way to increase uh one socket's viability going into the future is to build up as a city i think we have to embrace we have to embrace that we're in a very <laughs> central location we're in a place where it's in driving distance to a lot of you know important historical cities like providence um, boston's only an hour away from here and i know to rhode islanders that's a long drive but I'll, i promise you it's not I love a good drive. You know, that's not a very Rhode Island thing to say, but I love a good drive. It's, it, it was one of those things that blew my mind when I heard it. Like, people were like, wait, you commute 45 minutes to work? How do you do that? And I'm like, that's... Put on a podcast and you drive. That's all you got to do. Honestly, it's, yeah, just get into music, do something. So you, you say that, and, and it is, there's multiple things, I think, that, Honoring the fact that I think it goes back to when we start thinking about that Green New Deal, there's a lot of things that will attract people here. One of the biggest barriers that I hear all the time from people who would are, live in Providence and like, I would love to live in Woonsocket, but I can't afford a car. And that is a major barrier for a lot of people, because if you do not have a car in this city, whether that is a choice because you are being environmentally conscious or just because they are stinking expensive, the reality is, is that I can get to work in Providence in 20 minutes. If I took the bus to get to work, it would take me almost two hours each way. That is a failure and a breakdown on so many levels that I'm like, I could probably ride a bike faster, really. And they don't, they don't, those are things that are major barriers that have kept us on that outlier. There's a, oh, you come all the way from Winsaka. That's why that mentality is there. And I think that as we think about rebuilding and our access to other local communities and what that looks like, and that does include being very conscious of the fact that I live three blocks away from Massachusetts. And so how does that affect our economy as a whole? There's a lot of things that could be challenges, as in people are going and spending their money right across the border, versus attracting people to come to a community that offers a lot and is a lot less expensive to live in. Those are things that we want to be able to start thinking about and how to make that happen. And so, yeah, we need, we need to be able to take the things that we have that are assets and then also evaluate the things that are challenges to be able to think about ways to be able to make ourselves more accessible for people to live here, to work here, to commute here, um, and what what all of those things are to be a thriving community. Also living close to the border and with, with him living over the border, 
I, I find myself more often going over the border to just get fresh produce, to get fresh fruit. It, I, I prefer that. I'm trying to live a healthier, greener life, which is really weird to say and hear myself say. I, I would love to see a lot of more like fresh farm stands in one socket, more local. You hear a lot of things about things called food deserts. One socket is one. We don't have that conversation because you're like, oh, well, we have Stop and Shop and we have Price Right and we have, and we do. We have those grocery stores, except for the fact that we don't because Stop and Shop is in North Smithfield, Aldi's is in North Smithfield, Stop and Shop is also across the border in Massachusetts. And so we really mm -hmm. truly only have Price Right. And if you live in any other area other than at Diamond Hill, you have to have a car to be able to get there or it's not accessible. And if you try and go to Price Right, yep. and this is from experience, any other time than the first few days of the month, you are not going to have the most fresh fruits and vegetables available because they shop for their clients. And so they know their largest peak of the month is at the beginning of the month. And then any other time of the, the month, it makes it challenging for anybody else, which then in turn forces us to go across the border, whether that's North Smithfield, whether that's across the border in Massachusetts. And so and that has long lasting effects on a lot of things. You can't get if you are a person that needs to take a bus to be able to go get fresh fruits and vegetables. That's a barrier to just be able to do that on a weekly basis. And so thinking about access is really, really strong here. Absolutely. And, you know, I work closely with the health equity zone um, heads here, and they do offer a uh, what equivalates to a farm stand every Tuesday at Thundermans. That's a location that kind of like in the center of the city where people can get to. But again, that's that's like a Band-Aid on on a broader issue. We do need to attract a supermarket type, and it would be awesome if we can get together. I see a lot of people opening up, quote-unquote, corner stores. If we can get our corner stores to have fresh fruits and vegetables so that people in Fairmount, people from, you know, different parts of the city have are, are actually able to get there without having to set up transportation because you cannot take the bus to go food shopping and get back and especially if you have children so the idea is not only you know do we need to have try to attract you know a, a, a market basket or something here but use what we have we have a lot of quarter stores get some sort of a program where they're offering where it's feasible for them to offer fruits and vegetables because a lot of times the the, the idea of eating healthy doesn't even come to someone's mind because they're so choices aren't in front of them. So that would also help from, you know, a health standpoint, just having having the access. Because what you spoke of was, yeah, I want to eat healthier, so I'm going across the border. Well, there are a, a large demographic here in Woonsocket that that never even runs across their mind because a lot of their shopping are done is done in these corner store type places because they can't constantly get back and forth to the market. So we need to make sure that we're bringing the product to these places. Um, if, you know, whether that be some sort of a program, which would be lucrative for um, business owners and, uh, or provide like transportation so people can get to a market that's within our city so we can also get the economical effects of that but it's an ongoing it's an it's ongoing and it, and it's you know this it hasn't just begun but we are 
we are cl- in close relation with as the health equity zone who is basically that is why they're here they're here to address concerns of food access and the um, and, and making sure that our city is, is able to provide nutritional food and access to it I was just going to say that we can utilize other organizations, other communities that are doing really great things in regards to things like food deserts. So there in downtown Providence, they have Urban Greens, which is a co-op owned grocery store, which is absolutely amazing. And they were able to do some really fantastic things to help families during the pandemic, including being able to deliver food in situations that other places were not going to deliver because you couldn't get food delivered if you were on food stamps. So if you received food stamps, that included our elderly who were at high risk. They had volunteers from the co-op that would go and deliver food at no cost. And so these were things that are really, really thoughtful and, and ways of being able to do it. Another thing that they're doing in downtown Providence is they tore down a lot of old dilapidated buildings in downtown Providence and turned them into open green spaces where people can grow plots of groceries. And so it's really a fantastic place when we start thinking about equity and diversity, because we have people that are from Southeast Asia or um, Latin America that are growing fruits and vegetables that wouldn't normally be able to be purchased here or would need to be something that is extremely specialized. And so they are utilizing this. And some of them have turned it into small businesses, because if you are growing specific like Latin American spices or fruit, um, to be able to then in turn sell it organically or authentically that is fresh, pick that day instead of getting it from, you know, Guatemala and have it shipped for, you know, a week and a half on some refrigerated truck, it changes what they're able to do for food, for groceries, for being able to supply stuff for themselves. And so thinking about some of the barriers that we've created, everything from being able to have chickens to being able to have our own sources of food. So when we think about fishing and hunting and all of those kinds of things that are really ways that families can utilize to be able to do that. But in our community, it's really difficult to be able to grow things. You know, there's only so much you can grow in a plot on your you know, back porch. And that's if you're even lucky for that. And then also thinking about the safety of our soil, thinking about lead and, and all the things that could be contaminated, giving those opportunities for people. And that's really a great way for young people to be able to utilize a skill set that doesn't necessarily transcend. I know that we have a couple of culinary programs in several communities throughout the state that have partnered with after-school programs, and they have all worked together to be able to grow stuff, and they are, they literally, one group in Cranston, I believe, just donated like 150 pounds of squash to the food bank, and so this wow. is, these, are, these are ways that kids are feeling empowered, that this is a way for them to be able to help. They're learning how things are grown. And then they partnered with one of the culinary schools and created a cookbook for some of the vegetables that the kids were making in the after-school programs. So there's a really great way of being able to think about including food security, but also that food desert and accessibility. And and we have the ability to be able to do some of these things. We just need to be able to think outside the box. And that, to me, honestly, closely relates to the pandemic. We know people are going to start going hungry. The $600 a week has long gone, and I don't see it coming back anytime soon. And so we should have been able to give opportunities for families to be able to grow their own groceries. 
this spring and summer, and and that wasn't there. And so we need to think things differently. Yeah, and I mean, so I and I think one of, one of the big elements of that to to kind of expand on that is sort of expanding and deregulating urban agriculture in the city. Uh, we have very very strict zoning laws that make it so that those with big or small properties, there's a lot of things you can't do. And so I think you know, making it a little easier for people to grow their own food by changing some of those, those laws. And then also to touch on what Marlene said earlier, uh, expanding co- the cottage, basically deregulating cottage industries to, to allow the expansion of like people to grow, you know, specific spices or whatever, like, and, and in their own property and turn that into a business. I think that generally speaking, that's very important, and especially in the city with people, you know, where there is lack of access to food, where there is already a lot of poverty, giving people that that ability to, to use the property or the space that they do have in order to, to in order to, to give themselves access. I think that, that that's an important aspect of this. And then, you know, and, and then also, like, city-owned city farm or something like that that they have in Providence. I think whether that is managed by the city or just divided into spots, that, that's that's the thing that I had actually talked about a lot last year in running. And again, it's like many other things, it's not something that the existing council would even think about allowing us to do. When I was when I was 22 or something like that, I ran an issue campaign to legalize chicken keeping in Socket. And the amount of effort that I had to put into that, uh, something to, to make something very, very simple legal in the city, and then looking at how the law actually, the, how, the form that it ultimately took uh, is very, very classic. It requires a very, very expensive zoning hearing in order to get a permit to keep backyard chickens. Uh, and unfortunately, the council president now, Dan Gendron, was the one responsible for that change. He, he withheld his willingness to vote for it unless we changed it to make it so that most people who did benefit the most from being able to, you know, raise chickens and save money on, on you know, good quality groceries made it so that it was impossible for them to even do that. And, and it, the economics would not work out to spend $350 on a zoning application to save maybe $10 a week in eggs. So, you know, we really, we need to have a city council majority who's actually, you know, has lived experiences that match the people in the city, you know, who are from working class people who understand that the city is not just, you know, a few neighborhoods of $300,000 homes. The city is much more expansive and much more working class than, than it is typically represented by. We actually have a community garden within the city. You know, I work closely with the Boys and Girls Club of Woonsocket as well. And we have a plot there. And we also gave, you know, they also have have been giving food out through the pandemic. And with that being said, what what that community garden would need would be for, you know, our council members to support it, to to make sure that 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 shouldn't be that should be known all over that we have a community garden and it should be known because uh, you know our our politicians are accessing it and the, that that live here within the city that you know so we can keep it going and we can keep it thriving and it is something that isn't for just a certain demographic like all of us are are having a, a part a part of that um all of us are are accessing you know what we do have here to make it grow and equitable because that literally gives people with a lot of money 
are able to eat healthy and people without a lot of money are able to grow and eat healthy as well. Um, and it's a, it's a, it's a win-win. We, it, it, things like community gardens within our city need to be, need to be supported. And we also need to, we just need ears that are open and willing to listen and hear and see what we have going on. Woonsocket is actually a, a wonderful city. We just need our, we need our local elected officials to represent all demographics and to be open to hearing about initiatives and things that we have going on and support it, you know, economically and physically. Uh, this, has oh, been, this has been wow. fun. It's been, uh, been eye-opening. It's nice to hear you guys talk, your thoughts on the city. Absolutely. And if you have anything to close off with or however, feel free. Speak your heart. So, you know, I, I just, I guess, want to say that, I mean, I explained earlier why I ran last year, that, you know, we as a city need to be more responsive to the crises that we're facing, not only specifically municipal crises, but the things happening on the state and national level and, and global level that affect us, that are, that are local issues, the climate crisis, the, the, the crisis of criminal, like police injustice, like police brutality and, you know, the injustice of the criminal, ju- the, the criminal justice system. All of these things are local issues and, you know, wealth inequality. And we and, and the community came out and supported the notion that we need to change how we do things in this city. And the unfortunate reality is the last year since I got elected, even the, ver- the most very basic good government reforms that I have proposed have been opposed by the five-person council majority because they're afraid of a community-oriented progressive movement in the city. They don't want to allow wins unless they absolutely have to because that legitimizes the fact that our city, by and large, does not match the way that our city council thinks, that our city council majority thinks. And so it is. they have spent the last year opposing positive change in order to avoid what is already now happening, which is a group of people who are running on that message and who are going to take over our government and make things better for our community, uh, people who are here with us. And so it's time that we had a city council that thinks boldly and compassionately and listens to the needs of the community and acts on them instead of living on an ivory tower and only listening to a very small number of people that, you know, they know that they can rely on to vote for them two years down the line. Thank you, Alex. Um, I appreciate you. I just want to end by saying that I love our city and I know that we have what we need to make us great. So with open minds, progressive ideas, inclusive actions, we can do this and we will do this. Webster full on socket. <laughs> Let's get this done. I am going to highlight something that you said earlier, which was that you don't tend to stick to the policy, you know, politic lines and stuff like that. And I think that we have to stop looking at it from a level of politics and start looking at it as a level of policy. Our budget should be the moral compass of our community, and that's how it should be reflected. I think that acknowledging the fact that you have four individuals here who are on any other sense of the word the most different group of hodgepodge people you could possibly throw together. But our lived experiences have what has been what has made who we are. 
and also makes us stronger. And so thinking about the fact that we do represent our community, we are a wide range of lived experiences that has brought us to this point. And if you look at us, even as individuals, and we're so unique, it is who this community is. We are all different because we are all unique. And instead of just trying to fit us all into one singular mode or think about, you know, one specific group, we really need to start thinking about everybody so nobody's getting left behind. And so thinking about how we are experiencing that, we need to have people see us as representatives of themselves. And I think that uh, you know, as as a person who has many different privileges, and I'm very well aware of it, I would not feel comfortable just walking up to any of uh, minus Alex uh, city council members and having a conversation. And so, if I feel that way as a white, educated, middle class woman who is intelligent and deals with lots of high level people on a regular basis, that says a lot. And so that has to do with how approachable they are and how, you know, I perceive them. And so perception matters. And we need to make sure that our government is is living up to that. And so, you know, I'm I think that the residents of this community are holding the representatives, you know, accountable and they want to see change. And I think they see it uh, with us. And I think that that is a way that us we can definitely move forward, as Charmaine said. Absolutely. That was very well said. I'm not as uh, eloquent as my my colleagues here, but I'll try and give something good. Um, ultimately, I think we all have a vision of the future we want to see. Uh, we, we all have an idea of what tomorrow should be like. And ultimately, what will win out is what we're willing to work towards. When it comes to the current city council, I don't think they're working towards a sustainable future. Uh, they're working towards some idealized version of you know, uh, the, the perfect, you know, white fence, white picket fence community in their heads. I, I don't think that's tenable. Frankly, that's why I'm here. That's why I'm putting myself out there and shining a, a spotlight on my face. We appreciate that because we need more people that actually care about the community and not only themselves and building up their own coffers in their own palatial estate. Uh, we really appreciate you guys for finally being able to do this. It's been great. Uh, I, didn't, I really didn't know what to expect. We we haven't. This was a bit selfish for us as well because we are we are mainly known for being more of a variety and a comedy type of deal, and we wanted to also show people that we actually care about the things we've talked about before, and we're not only uh, clowns with face paint on. Being able to do this with all you guys has been really great. I, I really hope we get to do this again because you know it, it's going to be a long process till election. Uh, when we, uh, you know, take those little envelopes and put them in the mail, it'll be cute. I can't wait for that. Say you're comedians, but comedians have always spoken truth to power. That's always been your job. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I hope I, I hope we're all satisfied. You know? um, so I am going to explicitly just say thank you for taking the time, thinking outside the box, um, and knowing how difficult it is for all of us as candidates to try and run for office in the middle of a pandemic. It, this in itself is not something that any of us have tried to figure out, things that we, we can't necessarily do. And so thinking outside the box of being able to get out there and, and talking to people and get our message out of who we are. I mean, most people know who Alex is, but... Sometimes we need to be able to explain who the ragtag group of people that he has come along on this wonky ride, and we're all in it. So, 
Yeah, absolutely. When when I when I initially reached out to Alex, I I didn't know what to think because to me I'm like, well, I'm nobody. You know, he's on a public office. Generally, when you try to talk to these people, they kind of brush you aside, got to kind of go about their own things. And when we talked, he he asked if he could include you guys, Marlene, Vaughn, and uh, Charmaine. And I I was I was thrilled for that idea to have more more people to have a, a platform to speak. And we, we need more of that, especially now when we don't have platforms outside. So our platforms are our couch and a laptop. Well, so, so I vote. We have we have three months going forward. And you want to do this again in a live thing and people want to ask questions. We're down for it. We, we need yeah, to hear absolutely. from people and people need to hear from us. We want to be able to be accessible. Absolutely. Sounds good. Uh, yeah, so we'll be in touch. Uh, good luck. For you guys in the future hopefully it works out for everybody thank you thank you thank you